This has probably been the best podcast I've been on. Just the conversational flow has been amazing. Thank you. If at any time you feel that that statement is true, hit that subscribe, comment, and like, and as well, share this podcast. Thank you. Welcome to Real Talk No Filter. This is Angela. So Angela, let's talk. <laughs> Hello, David. It's so nice to be here with you. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Um, how's it going? You know, it, it's interesting. <laughs> it, being an author of children's books is, um, it can be challenging because I know that my books can really help kids and their parents and trying to get people to know who I am and, and what I'm providing has been um, a really interesting thing. I had no idea. When you sit down to write books, you think, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to write books. And then when you're in the marketing and getting the word out phase, there's a tremendous amount of work that I had no idea I would be involved in. <laughs> <laughs> do you strictly just write books um, for children's or do you have uh, a mature um, books that you've written as well? I have been involved in four compilation books where different authors are offering um, stories and those are intended for adults. Mm -hmm. My the ones that I've written involve um, stories that have things that happen to me. And one is about forgiveness. One is about surrender to life. And one is about um, travel. And then another is, is about um, that one. Let's see. Oh, it's that we all have magic inside. I love that. And it's funny that you say magic. I'm actually reading the book uh, called True, Gift, uh, True Gifts, and it really touches base on the magic within ourselves and the magic around us to mm -hmm. use the magic around us and within us to actually find our purpose. So Beautiful. it's quite interesting. Yeah. 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 That it sounds like an interesting book. It really, I, it really is. Yeah. What I try to um, put across to kids in my fairy tales is that they are magic they have magic inside, and the magic is love, curiosity, and playfulness. Very true. Very, very true. Um, and, so what yeah. made you what made you actually start, um, I guess, writing for children? Mm. The, to be honest, the books just started as I was writing for a six-year-old, um, a friend's daughter, and I had no intention of putting life lessons into it. I was just writing a story. And as it grew and grew and, and got to more chapters and more chapters, I realized, oh my gosh, some of these characters are acting out some of the kind of things that I was faced with in my life. And the main character is having to figure out how to deal with that. She's doing it better than I ever did because she's doing it with love. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned a few times in regards to what you've been through. Um, are you able to give me an overview or if you want to go in details of what you've been through? Mm, I can give you, uh, nobody wants to hear the details of what, <laughs> what I went through. Um, 
I was born in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco in the mid 1960s. So I can paint a picture of this really magical place where there's music in the air, you know, because Santana and Jimi Hendrix and Jefferson Starship, they were all right there. And um, I lived across from Golden Gate Park. So we would go sit in the park and I would, I, I specifically remember a sunny day in the park and I'm weaving daisy chains or trying to weave daisy chains with my fat four-year-old fingers. Um, that was one aspect of my young life. The other aspect was my father and he was an alcoholic um, enraged when he was drunk and very emotionally, physically. And um, I've I believe he was sexually abusive, though I don't have any specific memories of that. I, as an adult, I had like zero memories of my childhood. <laughs> and wow. It was because my subconscious repressed a lot of things to keep mm -hmm. me from dwelling on them. Um, what I know now is that my father was a very sensitive person who was fed lies that he was ineffective, that he was um, a loser from his father. And he couldn't face those painful feelings that he carried around. So he escaped into alcohol. Mm. But, you know, when the Bible says the sins of the father are visited upon the children, um, in this way, by escaping his emotions through an escape mechanism of alcohol, his behavior to his own children was monstrous. And so we had to deal with those same feelings that he was trying to escape. Um, needless to say, I grew up and I repressed a lot of feelings, anger was something that I just could not deal with. It was um, something that I was in judgment of anyone who was angry, and I could not allow myself to be like my father. So I grew up repressing anger, feeling like a loser, <laughs> feeling like no one could love me, feeling like I didn't matter. Um, our, we had a little bit of a upset in our little family life in 1970 when our house burned down and us kids were moved to foster care for a little while because the parents couldn't find a place to live. And um, fast forward, <laughs> I got married at a young age to a guy who it turns out was very angry. <laughs> but, yeah. um, they do say that we marry people who, who remind us of our parents and we, you know, subconsciously we don't, or consciously we don't know it's a subconscious thing. So we're trying to fix our childhood. <laughs> and um, I was not successful in that marriage in fixing my childhood um, because 
basically he would um, he would become angry at a drop of a hat. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I never knew what I could would do that would set him off. And because his go-to was anger, what I ended up doing was repressing, 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 and then exploding. And I would react in anger. So it was a really a very toxic relationship. My what I brought to it was equally as toxic as what he brought to it. It wasn't until 2017 when a wildfire destroyed our home. Yes, two fires. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> However, I had to lose everything before when the only thing left in my life was this 32-year-long abusive marriage, that was when I had to say, what, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I can't change him. I can only change myself. And if I stay here, I will never be able to change myself enough because I'll be in victim mode so I had to leave and that was the start of my making myself into something new <laughs> wow that's that's heavy and then like I'm looking I usually have I'm sorry to go off topic I'm I usually have like four pens on my desk because I like to write notes of what I want to asking and i can't find it for the life oh, of me no. and i'm just like no so i've been typing i've been like trying to like type and i'm just like no i'm like forgetting these like key like i always say these golden nuggets that you mentioned so i typed in like i just literally just typed in like a couple words just now just uh, something i remember but it was like I, I can't find my pen but it's okay um it's okay we can wing this <laughs> of course um where was your mom in all of this so my mom was really an angelic kind of person, um, very filled with love, and she taught me how to be filled with love. But she, you know, she was the one who was working. My dad wasn't. He was an alcoholic, <laughs> and so, um, you know, she she basically tried her best to provide a, a good and loving relationship to her kids, but she couldn't carry the burden of four little girls and an alcoholic husband and being the mom. Um, so eventually it took her, I was 10 when she left. Um, she had gotten fed up of her kids calling her at work saying, dad's doing this. And she, you know, was halfway across the city, couldn't, couldn't come and save us. So, um, I remember the divorce for me was freedom. Mm. I had, you know, I remember being in high school and kids talking about their parents divorcing and how horrible it was. And I was like, I haven't, I don't even understand where you're coming from there because <laughs> it was the best thing that happened 
um, before the fire in yeah. 2017, which was also the best thing that happened. <laughs> um, the word fire, and a lot of people look at fire as a destruction. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of a fire is transformation. It's very because, transformational. Exactly. Yeah. Because to go to get, um, let's say, if you want to melt down something, to get down to the core of an element, i.e. metal, uh, the only way you could shape metal is to have fire against it. Um, mm -hmm. And I look at you as someone, yeah, you've hit, you went to two fires, but each fire was a transformation to who you, uh, sorry, played a part on who you are today. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and it's almost like the burnishing fire Correct. that um, refined, refined, refined my perceptions, the way I looked at life. When I think of the fire in my neighborhood, um, you know, four years ago, there are a lot of people, you know, 5,000 homes were burned. It was a huge fire. <laughs> and there were a lot of people who had the rug of life pulled out from under them. You know, we're just, all of us were like zombies walking around trying to figure out, okay, how do, <laughs> you know, if, if all you end up with is the clothes on your back, that you have to sh show up at work the next day. <laughs> How do you do that? You need a toothbrush. You need a hairbrush. You need, you know, there's the list is endless of what you need. And so, you know, there were 5,000 families trying to figure out how to, how are you going to take the next step every day? And it's funny because I, I thought, wow, I'm homeless, mm. but I'm homeless with resources. Yeah. Because, you know, we had insurance. Eventually it was going to pay. We had some money in the bank. So we could we could manage this transition. And there were people who, you know, people who were renting and they didn't have the kind of insurance that we had. And maybe they didn't have the kind of savings that we had. And so they were all of a sudden thrown into this situation where they had to live in FEMA trailers or, um, you know, figure out some people had to just move to yeah. be able to, you know, cause it was the San Francisco Bay area is pretty expensive <laughs> and overnight rental costs went from, because 5,000 homes were all, you know, immediately gone. So if you can imagine, a place that would have rented for under $2,000 was now renting for $4,000 overnight. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like the zombie apocalypse that everyone keeps talking about. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I know uh, what to do. <laughs> always, always, always pack an extra bag. <laughs> Just make sure your getaway bag is good. And don't forget to have a backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to Which is things. actually good advice for everybody. Have a backpack that you can grab on the way out if a crisis happens and it's got, you know, makeup, a change of clothes and medicine. Mm -hmm. Boom. I 100% yep, I agree with you on that one because disaster could happen at any point in time. It's mm -hmm. nice to know that you have a getaway bag that you just Absolutely. go and, and it doesn't have to be um, environmental um disasters 
because disaster in your life, uh, like you mentioned, like the abuse that you've been through, stuff like that. Sometimes you just want to pack a bag and just go. And I, I honestly so. believe that everyone should have that um, just in, for the just in case. Yeah. Yeah, it's good advice. I'm going to do something different. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be very touching, I think. Um, with what you know now, if you could see yourself or give yourself when you were uh, advice when you're at that age, when all that stuff would, ha would happen, mm. what would it be? Baby girl, the things people say to you are revealing who they are. It says nothing about who you are. It reveals the lenses, the filters that they look through life. You are love. You are magic. Know this about yourself. Open your eyes and know that people don't see the world as it is. They see it as they are. And what they say to you reveals who they are, not who you are. That's what I would say to the mm. child of me. <laughs> That's powerful. And I want to do one more thing. What you know now, would you have anything to say to your dad back then? Mm. I would probably say the same thing to him mm. when he was a child, that he didn't have to take the words of his father and make them who he is. They revealed who his father was. I like that. Very, very true. Um, you said you mentioned you have three other sisters, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. How are, um, if you don't mind asking, how are they now? based off of everything that they've been through? Or is that something that you guys talk about or it's something yeah. that you guys try to avoid? We talk a little bit about it. Um, my older sister, my oldest sister, she was the one who always called the police and she was the one who was kind of the savior of the little kids. Mm. So she had to rush into adulthood and you know be the responsible one when dad was being the monster mm -hmm. um she she has really turned to religion and finds finds peace and savior within religion my second oldest sister um, doesn't believe in God, and she married a man who um, equally has hurts and behaves in the kind of controlling and judgmental fashion that my ex-husband behaved in, and she doesn't see, she, she does, she 
stays into that victim role and she doesn't see um, her, the way she plays in it and she doesn't see the way he plays in it. So I can't say that she, she does have some joy in her life, but I can't say that she, um, she's not conscious about where she is and, and what she can do about it. Mm. And then my youngest sister, um, equally, she's very much left-brained, and so she doesn't logic and um, thought is what controls her. And she has buried so many emotions that she has terrible health problems. And I have talked to her <laughs> about letting some of those emotions out and, and facing some of the hardships. But she's not really ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. And so I just send her, I send all of them love. And... You know, when we send when we send people love, we're opening them up to be more love for themselves and for others. It, it's kind of that this brings me to um, there is a gentleman who has a victim to victory podcast, and his perception is if we share our victim stories then we're opening them to light mm -hmm. and while I agree with him I got on into this really big discussion about Hitler and, <laughs> and you know what role did Hitler play and um, this podcaster he actually has a terrible story of how he was in a bar doing karaoke with friends and he left and somebody in the bar had like zeroed in on this guy and followed him home and beat him nearly to death. And in this discussion, I realized that the guy who followed him home saw in this other guy this podcaster a part of himself yeah. that he could not love at all and so mm -hmm. he reacted in not love to this part of himself and when we look at hitler or these kind of persecutors abusers in a way we are being a mirror to them to show them where they are not loved. And when we can hold them in the space of love in our hearts, we're opening them up to see that they are also loved, even though they're in denial of it. And it's a hard, a hard thing for people to grasp. You know, that guy beat me why am I supposed to love him? Yeah. And that's all true. 
you know, we, we can't deny what happened. But when we are pointing a finger and blaming someone else, we're in victim. And when we are in victim, we have no power to make any change. But when we can rise above and see the role that we had, even if it's just that we were a mirror to, to reflect the not love that this person was carrying, once we can look at it from that higher perspective and not be the victim, we are freed from carrying that victimhood, that blame with us. I love that. It's, very, it's very really true. powerful, but it's also hard. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> because yeah. I was, in my marriage, I was victim for 32 years. Mm-hmm. And I blamed him, and I blamed him. And for me, it took a fire to snap me out of that behavior. Yeah. I believe that, and I love this theme with fire that's, um, that we're talking about, because I remember some thinking about, at your, uh, thinking about your sisters. I'm thinking about as well as that guy that beat up the, the podcaster. <clears throat> and the only thing I can think about is that sometimes we are placed in a fire. Mm-hmm. And while we're in the fire, we do not accept that there is a fire. And, and not, we don't yeah. see the role we're in in yes. that fire. Exactly. Yeah. And I believe that when we're in the fire, not until we accept that there is a fire, and that's accepting trauma, accepting abusive relationship, accepting that, guess what? I need to find love within myself mm-hmm. before I could love others. Yep. As soon as we accept that, that's when we can move from, we can move in the fire. So I'm thinking that we're standing, we're just standing there in the fire. First, we accept that there is a fire. Now we can move away from the fire, but the only way to go away from the fire, it's through the fire. And once you get through the fire, then we can look back and say, damn, that was a fire. (laughs) And that's- (laughs) And I'm so excited because- in your little um, speech there, you touched on several aspects of what I teach through my fairy tales to kids. Um, one is sometimes when you're in the fire, you you can't see. You, you can't look at it from a higher perspective. Sometimes you have to remove yourself from the fire. So in in my marriage, when I was the recipient of rage and blame, there was no way I could have a higher perspective looking at the situation. I had to leave in order to come to the conclusions that I have arrived at. The other aspect is um, being able to be a witness to the things in our life, the feelings that we have from a space of neutrality and being able 
not to analyze with our minds, but to analyze with our hearts what's happening and how are, how are we behaving and how can we shift our perspective so that it serves us. And that, that alone, shifting, well, number one, being witness to a feeling or a situation, and number two, shifting perspectives are hugely powerful techniques and tools that we can use to rise above and, and access joy and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get, I'm just, I, I love this because I'm getting imagery and I love being creative in that sense. So when I'm thinking about, I, I think about a lot of things when people talk, I try to picture it, but not just picture it in their perspective, but picture it in, in everyday situations. So again, going with the fire theme, I'm looking at two things. One, a marshmallow over a fire. You put it there <laughs> for too long. It starts melting. It gets burnt. You have to take it out. You got to blow on it. I'm also looking at like a piece of toast where you put it in the toaster oven. You put it there for too long, it gets burned. You take it out just right, it's perfect. I'm also looking at the factor as well as when you mentioned that while you're in the, when you're in your previous relationship, hopefully it's previous relationship, <laughs> that, <Yes. laughs> there you go, um, that you used, like you had that built up anger. And that is, and then again, it's that perspective of you being in the fire, but instead of you, you accepted that there's a fire. But instead of walking out and running out, you added fuel to the fire. Yes. And we and do that without, yes. that's such a great analogy. I love that. Um, what I, one of the things that I've talked about is when we repress a feeling, for me, it was anger. Um, for a lot of people, it's sadness or, mm -hmm. you know, because boys are taught you can't cry and girls are taught you can't be angry. So we grew up repressing these feelings. And what happens is every time we repress a feeling, we add it to our backpack. Mm -hmm. And we think we're hiding the feeling. We think the feeling's gone. But no, we are carrying it around with us. And that is why people become explosive when something minor happens. Mm -hmm because they have this huge backpack of feelings and they're reacting not to what happened, but to all the things in their backpack. Very true. And so that is why I, that is like the main message in my fairy tales is the importance of feeling all of our feelings. If we have a painful feeling, the biology of uh, it's the biochemistry of a feeling lasts for 90 seconds mm -hmm. 90 seconds but when you think of people who are grieving and how they just stay in that feeling what's happening is that their brain has engaged in the concept in the idea of this feeling and so it lasts, which is why being neutral to a feeling is so key. And what I teach is a um, technique called AAA, 
and it was originally put forth by Donnie Epstein. He's a, a teacher of a program called Epienergetics. Mm-hmm. Aware, acknowledge, accept. When we can take a painful feeling, I feel angry. I'm aware I'm angry. I acknowledge, even by stating, I am angry. It's acknowledging that feeling, but accepting, you know what? It's okay for me to be angry. I accept that I have this trigger within me that is responding with anger. And that allows the energy to flow. So 90 seconds a minute later, I'm not angry anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw something out there that hopefully that makes you think about something. Okay. They always say that emotions is energy in motion. Yes. And at the same time, you mentioned earlier that when uh, that we are programmed as little kids, boys aren't able to show emotions and girls cannot um, be angry. So my thing is, if that's the case, and if emotions is energy in motion, do you feel that at a young age, that that energy, that emotion, that we should be naturally, um, well, what can I say? Naturally, that we naturally have within ourselves has been suppressed and changed based off our environment. Very much so. And it, it's interesting in different countries, the way that this expresses, because I spent a year in England and um, the whole country, the, it's like, keep calm and carry on. <laughs> Don't feel. <laughs> I did a guided meditation there and the guided meditation was to feel is basically close your eyes and imagine, remember being a kid and remember a time that was really happy and feel the feelings that you felt while you were doing whatever made you happy, whether it was riding a bike with your friends or whatever. And I remember I had this room full of people and they're all looking at me blankly. What? Feel? What? (laughs) We don't know how to do that. So yes, the culture, the society can teach people to not feel. And that's a great disservice because repressed feelings can can come out in big ways like anger, like substance abuse, like health problems. Mm -hmm. And People are so in fear of feeling, I don't want to feel like I'm a loser. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel this way. And that resistance to a feeling keeps the feeling with us. Mm. So every time we try and push it away or we grab onto it, we prolong the feeling. It's only when we can be a witness 
and accept that we're having the feeling that we gain freedom. I like that. I like that. I'm not sure to go from here. Let's talk about your books. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your books. Um, how long have you been uh, writing for? Just a couple of years. Yeah, I, I, my first book was six months after I left my marriage. So the fire happened in 2017. I left the marriage in 2018. It took me some time to come to terms mm -hmm. with everything. And then um, in early 2019, the first book came out and that chapter that I wrote was about forgiveness. It was about the fire. So forgiving the crisis, forgiving my ex-husband, forgiving myself. And when you think about forgiveness, we think we're doing it for someone else. But in reality, every time we forgive, it's for ourselves. We're giving a gift to ourselves because we're letting go of that energy that we used to carry around about the other person. Mm. I like that. Um, your books, are they available, I assume, on Amazon or yeah. through something? Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so we've kind of danced around. Um, my children's series is called The Bella Santini Chronicles. Book one is on Amazon, and the book is actually designed for parents and kids. So it, it's not really only about kids getting these messages because so many of us, we grew up um, being taught to suppress our feelings. And so the books are intended also for the parents or for adults. There's book club questions at the back that um, really help you delve into some of the messages in the book. And for parents, there is a letter from Queen Tatiana. <laughs> and what, it, what it's intended to do is give parents a deeper insight into these tools and techniques that we've talked about today so that when they're talking to their children, they can bring that higher perspective to the conversation. That's awesome. Any final thoughts or words that you'd like to share? Because mm. I feel like this whole thing has just been golden nuggets, like every <laughs> single step of the way. It's been fantastic. Honestly, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Well, and you have been a fantastic interviewer because you have such great insights that you're bringing into you brought golden nuggets to this too and so it's been a fantastic conversation um if i had any parting words it would be to parents to take a breath there's so many stresses in this world covid lockdown has been very hard on parents um, you know, because they're, they're having to work at home and 
they have their kids underfoot the whole time and they're trying to balance this whole thing. And they know that their kids are suffering because social isolation and they're suffering from social isolation. And it's such a trying time. Take a breath and just breathe in and feel the love that you are. I like that. And know you're doing the best you can with the tools you were given. And there are tools out there that can help you maybe approach a situation from a different perspective. Know that you are love and you're doing the best you can. And I, Angela, I 100% agree with you because this is, I believe, the first pandemic that we've this generation has gone through and we're all learning this it's yep. it really is one big learning experience and exercise i would say because <clears throat> we're so as parents i'm not a parent but i know there's parents out there that when you go to work it's sad to say it's like that freedom away from your kids okay. now that you have to deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis um versus seeing them after work or even before work you you kind of have this break Right. I used to think of it as I was able to speak to adults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, everybody's in the, the pressure cooker right now. Yeah. And kids don't know what to do because their world has been turned upside down. And they're used to going off to school and they had the attention of the teacher or they had, you know, their friends. And now all of that is kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. You get the stress from work at home. There's no yes. verse. It's different because before. While your kids are running in mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean. Like before you're able to go to work, have the stress there. And then on your drive to come home, decompress. Now it, it's at the house and you're stressed. Kids are bugging you. You can't, there's no way you could decompress. Yeah. And I think that's what's causing a lot of mental health issues at, during this time right now is that there's no decompression. You see a lot of people turn into drugs and alcohol. Suicide rate, rate is up. All oh, these things. That, oh. that um suicide rates for kids is up yeah and this pressure cooker that we're all in is uh, you touched on it with what you're talking about this separation mm -hmm. um because you know in truth we are all one mm -hmm. and we had compartmentalized our lives. And so this whole lockdown thing is making us have our life in unity and deal with our life in this unity. And our minds still go to the separation. And when we can drop into our heart and be in that unity, it allows space or the breath, the heart, um, just 
you know, being in this space and finding the place to have that peace. Mm -hmm. So I <laughs> on my website, I have a guided meditation that's called grounding and clearing, and it's only 10 minutes and it's free. So <laughs> that might be really helpful to parents. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What's your uh, website called? It's AngelaLee.com. And Lee is spelled L-E-G-H. So it's Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A-L-E-G-H.com. Excellent. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. Angela, it's been a pleasure and a treat. We're going to keep talking. Um, but for now. Great new friend. Exactly. <laughs> 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 it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has probably been the best podcast I've been on. Just the conversational flow has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that.